This is where you suck. This sucks. This sucks. You're broken here. This doesn't work. Packing bowls and freeing souls from America's heartland. You're listening to Bowl After Bowl with Lorian and Spencer. They look so good. Oh, no, this ain't no comparison. I've never done a blunt. I do one. I'm hammered. Bowl after bowl till he's sick. Bowl after bowl. What does it mean to be the wolf? Hey, 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 everybody. Thanks for joining us on a not typical Token Tuesday. No, no, no. It's the second Sunday of the week, Thursday. And we're here with a special Bulls with Buds. I'm Sir Spencer Wolf of Kansas City. I'm Dame DeLorean. And joining us is the one, the only, Sir Bimrose. Hello, hello, hello. Hello Ooh. and welcome. Welcome to the bowl. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. This is uh, officially my first time in the bowl, and I just want to announce that I am probably the least qualified person to be on this show of any guest you've ever had. Ah, because well. Because I have... Uh, I have never partaken. See, we've had one other, so um, you you and uh, Abel Kirby are kind of in a battle for that spot, but I suppose you yeah. being oh, just Oh, I a am bit... so jealous of Abel Kirby. How come you guys never come up to the Pacific Northwest to visit people? Oh, uh, you know, we haven't yet. Yeah. We haven't yet. It'll happen. Never say never, child. Yeah. I, I, I get it. We're pretty far away from everything and way too far to the left for most normal <laughs> Well, we've got uh, family located in Massachusetts. Oh, so that okay. was what made it convenient. Uh, so to hit him on the way. So what I need to do is I need to marry into somebody into in Missouri, and then I can come out there. Yeah, yeah, okay. that's it. Yeah, I'll let Dame Bemrose know. <laughs> <laughs> you could just adopt a cat from out here or something. I'm sure somehow it would work out, right? Something. Something. Get it's a- not racist. It's a fact. Get a trap dog. Missouri yeah. trap dog. Get a trap we, dog. We have trap kitties. We have, uh, we have uh, two cats, two lovely cats. One of whom uh, is still new to the house and having behavioral issues, and the other one, who is cranky that a new cat has been moved in on her turf and therefore won't leave me the hell alone. So also behavioral issues there. Yeah, yeah. Like a double, well, I mean, a one of dose. them be one, one of them behavioral issues means that she's uh, staying upstairs all the time and and whining and uh, you know sleeping on top of me instead of next to me and when I try to roll over it's like like you ever seen one of those uh, dudes in the flannel and long beard do the log rolling in a lake that's like the uh, cat sure. when I'm trying to spin over in bed <laughs> <laughs> and. With and the, the other little... one is uh, is now taken to uh, deciding she's she spends time in the spare room downstairs where uh, we we now have a waterproof pad covering it because of the behavioral issues. But anyway, I can just see you waking up every day with like the Scooby Doo uh, <laughs> scramble running noises going. <laughs> and the cat's trying not to fall. That's off pretty of much you. exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, it's got to be it. Well, uh, for listeners who are new to this particular format, this is. This is a show we call Bulls with Buds. It's still a bowl after bowl show. So this will actually happen to be episode 111. Uh, you lucky man, you. An angel number there. Um, and basically we just have our buds on into the bowl and we have a little conversation, get to know our buds a little better. So um, we do them sporadically. It's not really regular. It's just kind of when we can find the time and our buds can find the time to kind of sit down and talk. And you can find this one and all of the... 
other Bulls with Buds at bullswithbuds.com. That'll take you to a section where all of them are sorted out nicely on one little page. Uh, so thank you for joining us again. I, I certainly appreciate the invite. Uh, like, like I said, I kind of got a little bit of imposter syndrome because uh, you you make such a big deal. And, and <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I, I, I am in favor of everybody's rights to do whatever the hell they want in sure. pretty much every way possible. And so I've got plenty of people that I know who do partake, but I feel like you know, when, when so much of the show is, is around the, you know, a culture that I got to admit, every time I listen to you guys, I learn a little bit more about, uh, you know, the, 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 a culture that I've never really been invited to. Sure. And I, and I think, uh, this is, I mean, this is fascinating and it's, it's extremely cool. You know, the, the best part about any culture is when it brings people closer together around common interests, no matter what those interests are. And I don't even care, you know, whether it's, drugs or if it's uh disc golf or if it's you know uh, uh jerking off onto the corpses of puppies although i think <laughs> fauci's the only one who does that but if your community brings you together that's great and so i guess uh you know that was my rambling way of saying uh thank you for the invite into your community and thank you for for considering me a, a bud enough to be on your excellent show absolutely well we kind of had been talking about because there was some uh talks in the back channels of like well do you have to have like do you have to be like a pothead in order to be a bulls with buds guest and we really wanted to kind of reject that idea because now you can be anybody um and we we when we started the bulls with buds format we kind of had a list of questions we had come up with that were all kind of stony related of like how you started smoking and all these different kind of Things like in that general vibe. I, I mean, but I'll I'll take I'll we, take your quiz if you want to hit me with them. We wanted to expand the format and sort of not fall into the same exact script, and so we started busting out with it a little bit, uh, busting out of those. But uh, with Abel Kirby, that was the first guest we had who had never partaken ever. But uh, you know, we still talk about it as poison of choice and stuff, and we'll and we'll get into that, I suppose. But we always like to start off. Um, by explaining who, who, how we found each other or like why we're buds in the first place. Cause, um, I think for me with, uh, with you specifically, I, I first heard you on grumpy old Ben's would have been the time that, uh, Sir Bimrose came on my radar in that way. And I don't mean came on my radar. Like, uh, when Fauci sees a dead puppy and, Oh man, I got I just got to jack off right now. I, I just mean in the, arrival sense i it depends on how sexy the radar is to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> this is not uh, a, yes uh grumpy old bens is a show that i used to do with uh darren o'neill who is uh, uh a very very prolific podcaster in our community uh in fact uh thank you darren if you're listening for uh the intro right after uh his his brand new show i hope i don't get this wrong uh, unrelenting is that the name Un of the show unrelenting that's what yes I heard. that that he has done uh which is uh it, it if i'm not mistaken i think it's intended to be the spiritual successor to grumpy old ben's that uh you know with with sir gene as uh the the new version of the the cranky philosophizing person who doesn't know how to shut up after after i'm no longer on the show <laughs> well it's work it's certainly on uh um, not showing signs of relenting 
which we yes. always love. So, um, so uh, if if you if you want to hear what uh, what what the old guys are talking about when when they get together and get cranky, kind of like what I was always doing before. Um, if if you just continue want to need more the more of that, go check out unrelenting show. Um, I want to. I don't know if that was the time yet, but I absolutely have to plug the show that I'm doing right now because apparently there are people who don't know. Um, that I have started a solo, a very, very short one called Angry Tech News, which goes about 20 minutes a week. Uh, and it's, uh, it, it's, it's high rate information dense. I hit you with a ton of information and snark all at once. And then I get out of your face and clear the way for your podcast player to move on to somebody else's three and a half hour show. See, I I did want to, and the uh, Angry Tech News is in my notes here. I did want to plug that and I talked about it a little bit. Uh, last show, but uh, we were behind the curtain in a sense that I was failing to remember certain like names and terms, and I was trying to also say I was trying to compliment you and say that you do have that short show format that has a lot more wiggle room to be added into somebody who might have a heavy podcast um, cue already. Uh, something akin to that Larry show, which I also like for that reason. If you have like a short drive, like from the city to the suburbs, you can do a that Larry show just in that drive. You could do an angry tech news just in that drive. And also, I, I, I appreciate the comparison by the way, cause that's exactly what I had in mind when I came up with the format. It's, um, was, was that Larry show? It's that hearkening. It, it kind of has that feel of, you know, it's a show that's prepped and scripted. So you know what you're going to say. And it's also tight in that format like that. Uh, a little bit different in that it goes through several news stories, whereas Larry kind of has a monologue thing. And, you know, no, no offense to your show, it's, it'd be impossible for anybody I know to hit the smoothness of Larry. I mean, he just has that kind of silky, smooth delivery that uh, I think all of us as podcasters just dream about trying to obtain. Um but what I really am impressed by your show is the amount of departments you guys are running over there. The department <laughs> list is just we have we have a lot of departments. Well, see, this is this is called uh, we we have an agile newsroom where uh, for each story we spin up a department, ah, and I see. then we get HR to fill the department with correspondents and editors and reporters and everything. And then they go out and they do the story. And then at the end, we fire all their asses because honestly, mainstream media is terrible. And we hire new ones for the next department. Wow. That's, that seems so resource heavy. It makes a lot of sense. If you even wanted to do like three and a half hours a week, there'd be no way. To... It's, it's agile. Yeah. Agile. <laughs> that Something. I can tell is a programming joke, but I wanted okay. to say that uh, I, I myself am a boot camp survivor, which uh, means basically nothing is what I know about code. Uh, and I paid a lot of money to know nothing about code. I was interested in how you got started with programming and sort of your background. Cause I know you worked for Microsoft for a number of years. Um, what was that journey like? How did you start programming? How'd you take an interest in it? Oh, that's uh, I, this might actually be a storyline that I don't know if I've ever told. Oh, we so, got we got exclusive nuggets yeah. here in the bowl. Well, I, I want to start with saying that there is absolutely no shame, especially in programming. There's absolutely no shame in being self-taught. It's uh, it, having a formal education. Uh, you know, I, I have a, a degree in computer science from a, a, a large state university 
that uh, that degree provided me. Uh, well, here's exactly what it provided me. It provided me a piece of paper that got my resume past the HR director and got me able to sit in front of an engineer so I could talk to them about what I really knew. As for what I learned in my formal education, it was approximately very little at all. Sure. Um, it sounds kind of like uh, my boot camp. It's yeah. like there was a, the boot camp was a lot of uh, so it was a it was a full stack web development boot camp and basically the main objective was to learn how to build MVC five web apps uh, on .NET framework and I am so sorry about that. There were little pieces that uh, you know. Like, oh, let's talk about React. but And then they were like, well, we're going to have a week of React. And really, it ended up being two days of React. And almost everything was either uh, type what I'm typing, uh, type along with me, copy this code and paste it, or go online and search for HTML5 templates and paste the templates in and you know strip the parts out that you did, don't need and then plug Razor pages into a template that already pre-exists. It's like... Did that work? It worked, and I made some things that were sort of, sort of like I, I don't know. I I'm more of like a pretty guy, and then the more I learn about code, the more I like the less I care about pretty, uh, the less <laughs> I care about design, and the more I care about. Like, I I've always described myself as a back end coder because I hate making UI in every way, shape, and form. In fact, one of the only apps that I uh, have released to the community recently was something that does uh, uh, podcast 2.0 chapters, and it is the most janky uh, ancient UI straight out of windows 98. Uh, <laughs> but, but it gets the job done, which is the only thing I care about. Uh, oh, I was just wondering if I wondered if that worked because uh, it, it, there's, you know, there's certain people where you can say, you know, type this out and copy and paste this and drop them together who will look at all of this at the end and be like, okay, well now I have a file that solves that problem. But if I was given another problem that was very similar, I wouldn't have a clue. And other yep. people who will take the time, and I feel like this is an individual thing, you, you have to take the time to understand, okay, what does this piece, you know, why am I pulling in this piece? What does it do? How does it fit? Right. And if you take the time to understand that, you can do it again. But otherwise, copy and pasting is, uh, I mean, it's like, it's like singing standing up on the microphone and having somebody just hitting sound boards, sound clips off the keyboard for all the vocals. It was, it was pretty tough. I think that the most practical skill I picked up in the uh, course was, you know, SQL queries, how to get really good at uh, coming over databases and finding what you need to be yeah. spit out at you. Uh, yeah. Which, and, which really in development is child's play too. It's not like uh, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's not, an important skill, but ugh. it's not logic. It's just like, a smarter way to do a Google search, essentially, you know, it's not like anything yeah. crazy. Um, so I don't know. I, since I've been trying to explore like Python, the, the problem is the websites that I learned to build, you need windows deployment to deploy. Uh, yeah. if I would have learned .NET core, which I'm kind of peeking into right now, that would have been a little bit more cross platform friendly. I'm learning. And so I'm trying to learn that, but I sort of, I took the course initially to try to get off of my WordPress crutch that I've had for so long because I'm very sick of WordPress. I really hate it, but it's just so like it works. That's the real like 
trap of WordPress is that it does work and you can update it, you know, and you can yeah, click on things and it works. Have, have you ever cracked open the, the source code for WordPress though? I don't know anything about PHP and most of it is that. And well, if you, if you have looked at it at all or, or just decided you don't want to, you're already doing okay. I don't know. PHP is, is, is a nightmare of code that unfortunately works when you get it right. And enough people have got it right that it's out there. Right. Yep. But it's, uh, I don't know. I, you're you're describing these deployment technologies, and I'm kind of nodding along because, of course, I'm I'm aware of of what technologies exist, but not most of the details of them because I don't use them or haven't used them. Like, uh, you know, I'm I'm aware that that .NET has a lot of deploying technologies, but when I learned how to build a website, here here was my deployment. My deployment was FTP. It was yeah, I'm building some as well. HTML files. And, and, and maybe if we're going super advanced and this is the, like the, the very newest thing that I ever learned was there's a CSS file next to it. And then I copy those out. Yeah. See, we just, we had the same thing, but we had an extra step because all of our web apps had a back end, And so we had like a windows, uh, s some kind of server side thing. Um, okay. That would hold the SQL database. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it has I to be able to talk back and forth for both uh i don't know like the the one i did was a resume uh system so you had to have uh authentication and user accounts you had to have permissions and roles and you had to have an ability for a user to upload a resume to a certain location out of several locations of your yeah, business they, they, and they're a manager all, to view and you know accept it or they're, not. they're all framework details there's there's a an accepted architecture that that most thing you know when you build an app now it, it ultimately it still boils down to html and css and js files on a server somewhere that talk to each other but because those are complicated at all you know everything is a framework and so you know here's how you deploy using this framework and here's and i i almost feel you know the frameworks are all designed to make web development easier by abstracting away the really low level stuff like how do you connect to a database. But I think that the biggest problem with the frameworks is there's so many of them that now, you, you know, using one framework is easy, but understanding what frameworks are out there and which ones are different, what's the difference, why would I use this versus this, there, there's hundreds of them. And I feel like that's, it's, I mean, that's the crazy. new thing that, that confuses new programmers is, yeah. is not, you know, how do I connect to a database? That problem is pretty well solved. Now it's, it's, do I use uh, React or do I use, uh, you know, Ape Master or whatever the, I, I don't even know. I don't follow the newest. I, if yeah, there isn't a, a framework called Ape Master, there needs to be now. It's wild how many there are and uh, how lost you can get in the whole, where do I start thing or what language should I learn now? That kind of thing. But I think that, you know, you've demonstrated a very impressively long way of dodging the original question, which was, how did you get interested in programming? Yes, I know. I, I, knew I, I knew I owed you a story. Yeah. I was, I was going to try to drag it back because this also isn't a technical show. And it, I know we just lost a bunch of people by talking about <laughs> partially my fault because I went on about it. Uh, that's OK. I, I, I blame you entirely because okay. I'm the guest and I can do that. There you go. Uh, Okay, how how did I get started? Um, a short version, I was probably seven or eight 
uh, and this is this is going to be mid 1980s. Uh, I lived in uh, Vancouver, Washington, and one of my neighbors worked at the uh, the Vancouver campus of Hewlett Packard. And I went over there just, you know, hanging out and he had this brand new PC, which had all sorts of really cool games like uh, uh, Space Command or whatever that one that you shoot the incoming missiles is, which is a stupid freaking game. But I loved it. And he had a chess game that uh, was the first time I'd ever seen what could even be called AI. And I wasn't yeah, at that eight, eight years old. I was crap at chess. Uh, so the AI kept kicking my ass over and over again. And I, so I asked him, I said, well, how did, how is this programmed? And he said, well, you know, it's, it's programmed using, uh, this one was written in basic, uh, GW basic, the, the HP version of it. And, um, I said, well, you know, I'd like to learn how to, and, and of course what was going through my head was I need to learn how to crack open this chess program so that I can make the AI dumber so that I have a chance of winning a game. But what he brought out was this thick-ass Hewlett-Packard branded hmm. uh, reference manual of every uh, command and byte code in the basic interpreter. And he said, well, you know, we, we have a bunch of extras of these back at the office, so you can have this one. And the thing was, it was, it was in this binder with the metal binder clips and the sheaf of paper that was all the three hole punch that was probably two or three inches thick. And I went home and just sat in bed and read that thing from cover to cover Whoa! and went, I can do this at, you know, and then the next thing that I got was, uh, we, you know, when at my insistence, uh, we ended up getting a, a personal computer of our own, which at the time was a Tandy 1000. And I don't know if anybody in the in the audience knows what a Tandy like that they even made. But this was uh, an IBM 8086 clone. It wasn't even the official 8086 because IBM wanted too much money for those. So a bunch of companies had managed to disassemble the BIOS and start making copies of the IBM PC. And this was one from Radio Shack. Well, Tandy Corporation, but Radio Shack's parent company. And this thing had, uh, it had two floppy drives, yeah, five and a half inch, of course. It had uh, 128 kilobytes of RAM and Whoa. no hard drive, although it was a very advanced one because it had a ROM that, uh, of course, you couldn't write to, but came installed with MS-DOS 2.1. And so it would it would boot into ms dos and then you popped a floppy drive disk in and you told it to reboot from the floppy disk but you had to do that from the ms dos and whatever floppy disk you booted from that so that was my first computer and it didn't take me long to realize that one of the disks that came with it had a basic interpreter and it wasn't exactly the same one that my manual covered but most of it was the same and i realized that well i could Type in all of those stupid programs that you used to get in the, the tech magazines. You know, again, this is probably before your time. Back in the day, if you wanted a, a useful program, the magazine would actually list the bytecode, the assembly bytecode of the thing. And you would use a program called debug.exe to type it all in. And if you got one character wrong, your program wouldn't work or would blow up. But if you got it all right, you had a new program. And nice. I realized that I could, 
you know, I could do that and I could be stuck using somebody else's code or I could pull up this basic, which is a programming language, and I could start writing my own stuff. Well, fast forward a little while, uh, I pretty much decided to become self-taught. Uh, I, I was I was too far out in the sticks. I, it wasn't until I got to college that I learned C, which was my second programming language. Uh, but by then, I'd also taught myself... Uh, you know, my like my high school, we actually had uh, a keyboarding as uh, one of the brand new high school courses that they would teach you. And the goal was to teach you how to type. Well, I was already of that mindset of I don't want to run, just run other people's code. I want to be the one in control of telling the computer what to do. Sure. And so um, a couple times I got kicked out and even banned for a whole semester from the high school computer lab. Because I clearly knew more about how to do things with that thing than than the teacher. Oh no! Uh, well, you're for not, example, you're not typing knowing, along with the class. <laughs> well, I, you know, I'd be typing along, and then I'd hit the the special key combination that it dropped me out to a command prompt. <laughs> sure. And then, uh, you know, knowing that there was a, you know, I could I could type exit if the teacher walked by, and it dropped me right back into my word processor. I think was was word perfect or something. And, you know, they're like, how come you haven't typed very much? Like, well, because it was all in the command prompt. And, <laughs> and by the way, you got just just don't, you know, don't try to launch this on New Year's Eve. You know, so, yeah, then uh, I went off to college and uh, had, a, had a junior college first. And and there was the first place that I had a, a course in anything that wasn't either basic or command prompt. And I learned C and I discovered about compilers and about, you know, one of the first things that I managed to do was get kicked off of my corporate network for writing a fork bomb. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with that, but there are going to be people in your audience. Is, but I know what being kicked out is uh, like. Yeah. Well, uh, okay. <laughs> Short version: a fork bomb is is an incredibly simple script that you can run. Uh, that here's here's what it says. It says spawn a new process running this script, and then go to go back to the beginning. Oh, okay, so it's like so an infinite loop, the, essentially. Or? Yeah, first iteration through, you run you run the process. Second iteration through, uh, it spawns a new one, and now you have two processes doing it. Third gotcha. iteration through, you have four. four and and yeah. as you probably know, those numbers go exponential real quickly. Yeah. And um, kind of took down my entire college's email <laughs> server for two days. You're forcing <laughs> the computer to play 2048 with itself. <laughs> yes. Um. So I have been a hacker for longer than I've been a programmer nice. because the the goal here, you know, learning programming languages is just a tool. It's I don't have a, a particular language that I, I have to stick to. Uh, the current one that I do most of my stuff in is PowerShell, which a lot of people are going to look at and go, oh, it's a scripting language. I don't care. It gets what I need done. Sure. Um, I, I am a hacker. I I want to make the computer do You're my bidding. will. Sure. Yes. Yeah. I like that. Um, a lot of people are curious, and so I wanted to ask you, uh, what is the greatest operating system of all time, and why is it Terry Davis's Temple OS? Uh, it's that that's a tough one. See, I, I didn't know Terry Davis wrote the Amiga OS. Oh, Temple OS. <laughs> Amiga. Oh. Well, Commodore 64? Come on. So many options. Oh, I see. I see. Back. Uh, it was my impression that 
Terry A. Davis actually wrote himself into his mother's womb. And then when he was I actually am not familiar with that or with Temple OS, and uh, you can go ahead and subtract geek cred for that one. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I ha- I only have weird uh, internet corner meme uh, credibility, and that's why I know about Temple OS. Okay. And well, why don't you uh, tell me about very, Temple OS? And it's I'll a tell very you why it- fun rabbit hole. Okay, so Temple OS is an operating system um, that. A very uh, well, this guy's kind of pretty famous in certain weird internet corners. Uh, Terry Davis wrote the entire operating system from scratch himself, including the compiler. Um, and it's basically he had a revelation, uh, he's in direct communication with God, and God told him the operating system uh, would be God's third temple, and uh, it's basically a Commodore 64 uh, type situation, but it's fully, I mean, you can, you would love it, I think, because it's fully hackable and programmable. You can access like all parts of memory at any time. Um, And like, well, that's true of any operating system. Once you break down the security, well, this doesn't have a, it's built just be to be like simplistic first and foremost. Um, it's not, it doesn't network either. It's just like its own thing. But I think you would find it pretty uh, amusing at, at the very least. I think I probably would. Uh, we'll, you uh, know, I, we'll have a couple of rabbit hole links in the show notes. I, I have, I have a, a significant disadvantage when it comes to operating systems because, uh, you know, I, I, my 15 years as a corporate stooge pretty much enforced the, what operating system that I would be using. And it became the one that I'm comfortable with. And I understand that windows is incredibly limited in a lot of ways. And it is high. It is the most paternalistic operating system I've ever encountered short of Mac OS. Sure. But I know how to bend windows to my will because I, yeah, we we didn't get to the the next part of the story, although it's less interesting. Is after I got out of college with a CS degree, I went to work at Microsoft for doing what I just said, being a hacker. Nice. Uh, I, my title wasn't hacker. My title was tester. Which at, at my, in Microsoft culture, the the testers were always the 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 redheaded bastard children underneath the develop like they were a lower form of life there were the exalted developers and then there were the program managers who told the developers what to write and then at the bottom of the barrel kind of swimming around in the sludge was the testers who would sit there and they were a necessary evil because the developers as perfect as they were didn't get everything right the first time so you needed testers to catch bugs on the way out and i was one of those because my specialty was Taking this beautiful cathedral thing that the developer built, the, the their magnum opus, the the most beautiful piece of code, and taking a hammer and a paper bag full of feces and shitting all over it, saying, <laughs> this is where you suck, this is where you suck, this sucks, this sucks, you're broken here, this doesn't work, and this is why, and, and I, I, you know, professionalism required that I stop short of saying, you are a terrible person because you can't write code to save your life. <laughs> so I didn't say that, but you know, any, any developer who got too attached to this beautiful thing they wrote, just be aware. I'm going to find every imperfection, every flaw and every chink in the armor. 
and crack it all wide open and lay it out and say, you fucked up, do better. And if you came back and did better, then we made a better product. Uh, so I, I was very, very good at that. <laughs> so with Windows, um, I, I know how to bend Windows to my will. You know, ask me what operating system I'm running right now at this moment. Okay. What operating Windows, system are you running right now at this moment? Windows 8.1. Ooh. <laughs> See, um, a, a lot of the nerds told me that one was the bad one, Windows 8, right? Well, then or they don't really it, have the cred. Was it the... Uh, I keep seeing this meme floating around how, like, every other Windows OS is great and every other one sucks. I've seen that. And, uh, uh, given that I worked on several of them in a row... Is is the Windows 08 one in the goods category or the suck category? See, like... Well, most people put it in the suck category because it came right after... Well, Windows 8.0 in particular was was one that everybody thought was in the suck category. Uh, it, it was... I worked on four versions of the operating system. I worked on Windows Vista of the ones that were released. I also worked on one called Longhorn that was never released, but... Uh, I worked on Vista, I worked on Windows 7, I worked on 8, and I worked on 8.1, which is generally not considered to be a separate operating system, but there's a number of things that changed. Gotcha. And it, 7 is the one of those that everybody likes. Everybody was yep. like, you know, XP, Yeah. It, it, when, when Vista came out, everybody's like, XP is great, which was hilarious because six years earlier when XP came out, people were like, Windows 2000 is great and XP is garbage, a Fisher-Price yeah. operating system. <laughs> I remember all uh, that. I, People loved Windows 7, and I understand why. Uh, here's the thing. When, when somebody comes out and is like, oh, Windows 8 sucks, I'm like, why do you think it's a because start menu? Okay, you just lost your geek cred if you think the start menu is the most important thing. I don't like the start menu in Windows 8 either, but I never use it. Sure. Because when I launch programs, it's from the command prompt. And I tell you what, the command prompt's pretty good, and so are the drivers, so is all the stuff underneath. It's a pretty good operating system under the covers. That's cool. And then Windows 10 came out, and they were like, "Resistance is futile. Your experience will be upgraded." What? Uh, what? So is that a similar thing going to happen with the Windows 11? Abel Kirby and I have been talking about the Windows 11 thing, and he kind of alluded to some settings he flicked in his Windows 10 that prevent any kind of updates, and they're not even gonna like he hasn't even been soft asked. So I've been soft asked several times to install Windows 11, but. Uh, I'm very nervous because I have all my shit where I like it and I don't want to like change anything right now. And I've already, I'm kind of committed to learning some other shit before I learn Windows 11, which I know the learning curve has to be, you know, not that steep, but. So Windows 10 is the, the marketing and, and product name attached to about eight different operating systems because each time that you got, you know, each time that you, each time that Windows said, uh, you know, you need some updates, and then it stopped and uh, did a full system restore point, and then uh, churned for five hours and uh, did several reboots and all that, all for, oh, you're getting an update. What you were really getting was a full brand new operating system that also happens to be called Windows 10. Mm. And I haven't studied or, or personally used Windows 11 much, but the impression that I have is that it's kind of like that, but they finally decided to move to a new marketing name. I see. And 
getting a whole new operating system has always had Microsoft has tried over and over again to respect user settings. And what they really do is they go through everywhere they can think of. They copy out exactly what your current settings are. They save that off in a file. They wipe out your OS. They put a brand new one on and then they take that settings file and try to apply them. And if everything works correctly, you end up popping into another operating system that looks mostly the same with maybe some new features and most of your settings in place. When they screw up, your settings are mangled or changed because they didn't get copied over. You get set back to defaults. I'm sure if you've been on Windows 10 long enough, you've had settings moved back to defaults because of an update. Yeah, mostly well, my woes come into this, you know, the sound driver nightmares. And that's why oh, I, no really, doubt. I hate updates and I hate changing anything much because even just you, week to week use, with no updates, sometimes I got to fuck with sound drivers and, and do you use out. the Microsoft sound drivers or do you use something fancy like Motu? Uh, I have a Motu that I haven't integrated yet into my system. I use, uh, just an audio codec that's out of a, uh, Behringer USB soundboard. And then I also use yeah. ASIO for my machine. Oh, well there's your problem. See, if you were, if you would only be satisfied with all of the Microsoft defaults, you'd never have problems like this. Yeah, I'm sure. But uh, I've got to have my, I got to have my noises, man. Oh, I feel stupid now. Um, it's the weed. I've got to have my <laughs> it, buttons. It, it, it's it's noises well used. Um, we're also interested. Uh, what kind of poking, prodding, or other incentivization? could encourage uh, more podcasters such as yourself who do have the technical ability to get for, to get noted up and plugged in to the podcast 2.0 system. It's that's a tough one. Uh, I, I knew. It I, I, okay. Well, uh, okay. Let's start with, uh, let's imagine that the question you asked me is what would it take to get me noted up? Because it's sure. kind of on my list for angry tech news. Sure. And, and I want to reach the point where I'm there. Uh, I, I'm going to go with it's about 65% the amount of of knowledge that you have to download up front in order to understand everything. Uh, I, I have, you know, it's kind of crazy. With, with as many horrible, terrible PDFs, you know, 100-page, completely dense PDF full of information that nobody should ever read, that I looked through in order to do research for angry tech news. And before that to do research for GOB, I've never actually read the lightning white paper. And there are going to be concepts in there that I'm going to look at and go, I have to, I have to get, okay, I have to understand this. I, and I, I'm technical. I know that once I'm presented with a concept, I will be able to understand it. Sure. For, for the people out there who don't have the confidence that, you know, if somebody tells you exactly, uh, you know, what channel fluidity is in the context of uh, in cryptography, a lot of people out there are just going to have their eyes glaze over. The, yeah. the presentation is still math professor level. Uh, yeah, definitely. Well, and especially if you try to deep dive further and further. So what what I've been talking about on Bull After Bull for months now is... Uh, making the get in the car analogy, you know, get in the car and drive. And I think it's interesting to get a lot of different perspectives because most of the podcasters I'm trying to onboard into this noted up world 
are of the totally no tech world. You know, they don't, they get intimidated because they don't understand any kind of command line stuff. They don't understand a lot of different computer stuff in general. Right. Uh, and I always, I I always really intimidating for people who don't self identify as technical. Definitely. Um, and for them, I've always said, you know, you don't really, you don't really wait to drive until you understand fully how a carburetor works or like how, why a piston fires and how that works, you know, like uh, maybe I'm the wrong person if, to be asking this. If you then, rebuild, I did. if you understand how to rebuild an engine before you drive, you know, um, but no, this is perfect. Cause it, you're sort of on the complete opposite side of the spectrum where, uh, you might even understand too much about what's going on and everything you use. I, I think that's a problem because let, let me give you the other two bits of friction that have, have caused me to not prioritize uh, another one, which I think is going to be true of almost anybody is upfront costs. And yeah, whether that, you know, that, that means, uh, you know, I, I don't even, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to lose cred for admitting this too. I don't Your currently own any Bitcoin. Your yeah. Credit. I don't oh. currently own any Bitcoin. No Bitcoin. Well, I, I plenty of people donated what? to grumpy old Ben's, What? but, but, but the, the, you know, because it was a pain in the ass to try to maintain what we ended up doing was Darren just kept all the Bitcoin and he's got a nice, heavy, hefty portfolio. Oh, nice. And I was, Must uh, I was paid nice. on the back end. Ah, so you just got the cash equivalent of what it was yeah. then instead of yeah. holding which, on to which the, at the time appreciating I was cool asset. With. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I shouldn't have been maybe. maybe. Maybe I screwed myself and maybe I'm terribly short-sighted and awful with money. Well, you know, the the good news is it's still early. It's not wicked early. It's not like. Uh, no, it's 17 it's year olds like, driving around in Lamborghinis early anymore. Oh, no, I, I personally know uh, quite a few people who were trying to get me into Bitcoin in 2013 going, well, you just, yeah. you know, you just run this program on your computer and look, I got six Bitcoins, you know, just well on the toilet. And I'm like, yeah, but those will never be worth anything. Well, so look who's the idiot now. Uh, you know, I got in uh, around that time area, 2013, 2014, something like that. And mainly I was just into degenerate gambling with like fake internet chips that you know it didn't feel as much like real money at the time and then as as the years went on all the stuff i bought kept growing in value to the point where i could spend it on weird shady shit you know like just a little bit at a time and not lose my nut and so it wasn't really until uh dave and adam launched podcasting 2.0 that i got back into it in a real genuine sense of like, okay, let's stop fucking around like a little kid and let's actually learn what's going on. Well, well, obviously I regret not having taken the plunge and, and, you know, signed on with the new, you know, at, okay. At the time in 2013, Bitcoin was, it was straight up. It was a religion that I would have had to take a leap of faith. And as a career pessimist, which is kind of what you have to be, to be a tester, sure to, to be the kind of person who looks at something that has, you know, the, the program manager comes out and says, this is a perfect thing. This component is going to be, and I, it, it was always my job to look at it and go, yeah, that's uh you, you've really talked up this thing. Now I'm going to go find out why it sucks. Right. And that's a mindset that goes in. And I, I didn't get in and I certainly regret that now, but you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to flagellate myself over it. Right. There's no, what's point. done is done. Exactly. But to try to go back to the question you asked, what is what is the friction preventing me? Well, there are some real upfront costs of 
you know, having enough coin to fill your channels, whatever that happens to be, if, if you're going to go manual node, you know, there, there's also the custodial side, which is an, a, another option. But if, if I was going to set up my own node, there is the which cost I of hardware, by the way, I, and I understand. And, and I, I get why, cause it, but, but there's the upfront cost of hardware. There's the upfront cost of, of investing enough coins to fill your node. There's the upfront cost, you know, that there's, a lot of layout, not to mention a, a great deal of effort, which I'm quite certain you're well aware of. Sure, definitely. In trying to get that set up. And it, it so compare that to what do I expect to bring in? Uh, you know, oh, here, yeah, oh, first of all, um, I listen to podcasting 2.0 also, but I have absolutely no illusions whatsoever that any podcast that I do that doesn't have Adam Curry on it is ever going to get more than, oh, here's a boost of, you know, a hundred sats. Here's, here's the biggest thing I've ever got. It's a thousand sats, which is I, okay. That's pennies. And now I look at, uh, you know, like a $500 upfront cost to set out. If I'm in this for money, it's really hard to justify on the balance sheet. If I'm in this because I want to find out about it, which, which I think is how I'm going to get into it when I do, then, then it'll be curiosity and fascination. And, and I'm hoping that angry tech news brings in enough in PayPal that I won't feel like I have to dip into my mortgage money in order to go out and, and, you know, build all the hardware and the node and everything. But I don't know if I'm there yet. Well, I can tell you, we are on what you would call an absolute shoestring budget. All right. We don't have crazy income. Uh, we live in a five figure house, very modest uh, situation financially. Um, and I can tell you that the node has already paid for itself. Now, granted, I had the channels to set up that uh, gave, you know, from Bitcoin that was old that I had for ages. And I also have, you know, two kind of eras where in the first era I was the same. I didn't, I was never a believer when I got in. I was just like, oh, he, he, it dipped below 420. I'm going to buy. And I never put more than a hundred dollars into Bitcoin, but it turns out, you know, that it became a lot more money over time. And mainly that was just because I forgot about it and didn't really use it a lot. If I had been using it the whole time, I would have probably sold it or done some other shit with it, you know. Um, I, like, periodically ordered some weed seeds over time with it. It was, like, the only thing I ever really did with it until the channel thing come up. But uh, another thing about this hop in the car thing is there's a lot of stuff that you want to read or know about or discover it's, that's going to be almost impossible to learn without first getting in that car, without first setting up that node and running it. And, you know, yeah, right, we call those gotchas in the industry. Yeah, exactly. Like it's almost the classic, uh, Nancy Pelosi. We got to pass the bill to find out what's in the bill. Um, but it's, it's, uh, you just want to set yourself up to where you're not, you're not putting at risk this incredible amount. And in, you know, for easily less than 500 bucks, you can get in and start at least being able to accept payments, to accept keys and payments. Um, and if you're connected to one of us guys that already has a node going on, even if you have one channel, or what I recommend what we've been doing, Rings of Fire. Uh, if yes. If your first channel open is in a Ring of Fire, then you start off with two balanced I channels. Am, and I am pretty excited about what you guys are doing with that because that absolutely addresses one of my big problems of how, how can you even set up lightning 
when you've got to have so much money in order to have any kind of liquidity and it's people helping each other out. So I'm yeah. pretty happy about that. It's, it's, uh, it's vicarious liquidity. So, you know, you have your own liquidity that you're starting with, but as, as people start streaming you payments, you can just start growing it and growing it. And then you'll be saving up for channels before too long and thinking, Oh, I think a good channel would be, I don't know what to whatever it's going to be. Um, you get a better sense of the network as it grows over time and as you're a part of it. But until you have a node, it really means nothing to you. Like channel balancing and opening and closing doesn't really mean anything until you have it. And we're actually getting Lorian's node set up right now. Yay. So Yay. Yeah, she's still Wait, here. Wait, why do you okay she's still should here. I ask, is is why do you need two nodes in your household? Is that well is that to, I suppose keep- need in the Total clinical sense is a bad word for it, but my personal recommendation when I do the evangelize part of this shit is I recommend that all podcasters get their own node that is their node. So if you are a podcast with three people on it, then each of those podcasters in a perfect world, each of them has their own node. And the reason being for that, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I think if we had if we had gone with grumpy old Ben's, I would have started insisting that Darren and I keep everything separate, which would have turned out to be a pretty good idea. Yeah, well, it it just lends itself to the way that the podcasting 2.0 structure is being implemented and built out. Um, So in the value tag, uh, you can have the most basic setup, which uh, is podcaster wallet. You enter a single node that is the show's value node, you know, and then everything goes there. But oftentimes there are two hosts or three hosts or more. And then oftentimes there are guests. So podcasting 2.0 does have a feature where you can do item level splits and you can say, Hey, you know what? 10% I'm going to give to a guest. Uh, and that's in, uh, that's forever. You know, that's, that's, uh, royalties forever, essentially. So like Bimrose, when you finally get noted, we're going to go back to this episode. We're going to put an item level split in for you for whatever we decide it's going to be. And then when people go back in the, when people in the future listen to this episode and they boost you, uh, they can boost you directly if you have a node. And if you have that tag set up, I got to admit that might be the better, best incentive I've heard. I have a question. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I boosted. I, did I just talk over Lorian or was that a clip? Oh, that was a, that was a, that was my okay. youngest daughter. Oh, on the soundboard okay. there. You have oh, they're they're old enough to make noise. Recorded in uh, Abel Kirby's apartment. Nice for those of you who are nerding out on the so, lore. Bursts. I I do have a question because I'm not sure about this. Although you know this this isn't something that necessarily needs to be asked here in public. But uh, I'm a little fuzzy on what exactly a node is. I always thought that a node was like you had to go out and get the Raspberry Pi and set it up, and then you get one node. Not necessarily, uh, although that is the recommended way, and that's the way I recommend and do myself. Uh, you can run uh, a node on old laptops. Basically, sure. what you need is a dedicated computer, an SSD drive that's going to be housing all your data and all your you know your channel data. It keeps a full copy of the blockchain. Uh, and it keeps it up to date, all that good stuff. So, but, but what I'm getting at is, do you need what you just described, a dedicated computer and a crap ton of hard drive space to hold the whole blockchain and all of, do you need that per person? So a if terabyte. you have three podcasters who are all, 
living in the same spot, you need three times whatever hardware you build. You you actually don't. And there are ways to use one node and separate everything out. So like, for instance, Satoshi's.stream is is a great service to uh, talk about what can be done. Everybody who uses Satoshi's.stream is basically using one node, that Satoshi's.stream node. So if you use that service in your value tag, you plug their node public key into your podcast's value tag. And then all of the sats that are streamed to your show are streamed to their node. And then they can parse it out who gets what, and they can read boostograms. And then at any point you can get on Telegram and use a Telegram bot to withdraw with a 3% fee to so any Lightning the, wallet that you use. That That's the alternative to running your own node hardware in your own place. It's the only alternative so far that exists. Now, what yeah. I'm working on is a, some way to do sort of a, the same thing, only in a value-for-value value sense. So people that I actually know that I'm trying to get on who only want a wallet and they don't want a node, I can provide a custodial service for them, and I'll just ask value-for-value value for it, whatever they want to give me. So, but I don't want to do it in a sort of, sort of a set fee thing. I'm going to go back to the question that you asked and, and I already answered it twice, but I'm going to give a third answer, okay. uh, which has to do with the custodial stuff. And why haven't I just, you know, if, if I really don't want to go out and go through the effort of creating my own node on my own system here, I mean, I mean, I know that, that I could probably set up a node on my Debian box downstairs if I wanted to. Well, well, I could have before I lost the hard drive last week, but, um, oh. Uh, yeah, it, it, I, I've got a new one on order. It's it, This is a temporary thing. But, uh, you know, if I don't want to go through all that, why not just go to uh, a custodial solution? And I, this is going to sound really silly, but it's also anybody who listened to a lot of GOB, anybody who listens to Angry Tech News is going to know that I am highly skeptical of the trustworthiness of Silicon Valley companies. Right. And, one of the biggest sources of friction that I have with the Satoshis.stream was the idea of, oh, well, if you're going to use this, you have to sign up for a Telegram account. Yeah, so... And I'm like, I I, I don't have Facebook. I don't have Twitter. I have a, a, a login to the Troll Room IRC server, and I have No Agenda Social, and I have two or three other accounts that I don't talk much about, like... Uh, you know, there is a LinkedIn page for people who can seek me out and every once in a while somebody finds me and then they realize it's three more weeks before I even respond because I don't log in there. But I don't want to sign on a new account with every single Silicon Valley service out there. So when somebody says, oh, you have to create it. Don't worry. The just account is a, free. Yeah, no, it's not a telegram free. bot. Well, that's kind of over the time that we've been kind of evangelizing nodes in the podcast 2.0 thing. I've tried to be very careful to not say that uh, you shouldn't use satoshis.stream because I don't believe I don't believe in that message that you shouldn't use it. But there are some cons of, you know, control that you give up. There is the need for the Telegram bot. There are a few things that make it unpalatable for especially for somebody who's already tech oriented enough to be able to run their own node and I'll give you a hint if you have a podcast and you're publishing an RSS feed regularly, then you have the technical know-how to run a node. It's not that freaking hard. It's just not. 
Uh, I, I, the I problem honestly is believe I not, have the technical know-how. Yes. If you don't, no one does. But the the I mean, we're launching ours, and we're not really. I mean, I'm not the I'm not a fucking tech whiz. You know, I do enough to get by, and I'm learning all the time. But you know, I'm not a programmer. And uh, wait, have you ever programmed anything? You know, you, in you, our in our boot camp, we made talking, we made a dungeon about... crawler. Uh, I've done some stuff. Okay, then okay. fuck you. You're a programmer. <laughs> Don't put yourself down. Okay, well there is that, but you know, it's still the uh, like you get an imposter syndrome for syndrome for sitting in the bowl. I get an imposter syndrome anytime the tech discussion comes up or the dude named Ben shit starts going off. You know, like I I know enough to like understand a few phrases, but like. For if you sat me down with a task or a coding challenge, like even uh, when it gets past the most basic levels of the stuff, of like you know, uh, give well, me the answer allow, to this math allow me problem. To at least, allow me to at least dispel your concerns. Uh, if it, it, in the realm of uh, you know, are you a dude named Ben? Are you are you technical? Uh, it is it is about twenty five percent knowledge and. For the most part, you get that two ways. You get that by going out and finding it on your own, or you get that by learning through experience. Most people get it through experience, but there's only so much you can get. But the other 75% of are you technical person, are you, is do you go out and decide to learn this shit on your own? Sure. In, and you do. You absolutely have the ambition. Uh from what I've seen, especially with this whole, you know, I'm not even sure about programming, but I'm going to set up a node. You have far more ambition than I do and, and more cred than I do because I have a lot of technical skill, but I am the laziest person on this entire podcast network. Sure, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, you have more cred than I do for that. Do not put yourself down for not having the knowledge. Knowledge is easy to get if you have the ambition to go out and find where it is and then put it in your brain. Coding karma. Well, I appreciate that. that. <laughs> uh, but you know, really, getting back to the node thing, your node is your autonomy. So you know, you can use somebody else's node, and that's fine if you trust them. But you can also decide to trust no one, and that's what a node is all about. It's about operating in a trustless manner on this value system. And you know, I've listened to enough. Uh, Sir Bimro's material and Bimrants to know that you're a guy who's going to be, you know, wanting to do it yourself, wanting to have total and complete control, wanting to not trust anybody else, whether it's Silicon Valley or whether it's Adam Curry, you know, uh, whether it's people that you might actually trust a lot, you still don't have to trust anybody except for you once you're noted up because you run your own node. Well, I'd absolutely sign on for a, a custodial service that required that I trust Adam Curry or, or Sir Spencer oh, yeah. way ahead of something that just says, oh, and you need to go out and get a Telegram account. And, like, you know, oh. I, I haven't met or interacted online with the Satoshi's.stream, whoever's behind that or whoever, and I have the no team specific that haven't. reason to distrust them. Exactly. Neither do I. So even but even Adam, when he was on Hog Story, mentioned that. And I think that he had some pushback and has backtracked a little bit, but he did call Satoshi's.stream kind of an interim solution while you're getting noted. And I think that's great too. The, the reason that I haven't endorsed or told anybody to do sats.stream is just because I believe in the node enough to where if I'm bugging you to get uh, value enabled and then you finally do with sats.stream, I'm not going to 
stop bugging you until you're noted because with sats.stream if you make a guest appearance you won't be able to parse that out you won't be able to say hey enter my uh value tag or my node into this item split for this guest appearance you're not going to be able to do that feature um these little things that are going to you know over time be really great and really implemented i think the sooner that you hop in and get it going the more that's going to you the more time you're going to have for that to pay off you know i mean we're just dropping episodes and episodes like Hansel and Gretel in the woods but anybody can go back to these old things and pick them up at any time you know and uh i don't know it's all cons it's all boostable we're just we're just uh putting a bunch of lines in the water looking for boosts baby it's all boostable if you like that boost wait to see what happens next (laughs) yeah we've we've been having fun with it uh and uh learning on the way i just i just uh my main message is like the fear, the uncertainty, and all the doubt, that's there to just keep you from starting, you know? But get in and just drive the car somewhere, and there's plenty of us guys who can help tell you, you know, what's going on. If the check engine light comes on or whatever, you know, like, there's there's entire communities that are invested in it, not even just with their dollars and cents, depreciating asset, but they're invested with their futures. I mean, we're betting our futures on this, we're betting the uh, the hobbies that we do. It, it's just like it encompasses so much of the things that we love that we're happy to help people out who are looking for help or, who, you know, who hit stumbling blocks. So that's what, I mean, it's been such a, a cool experience to, you know, from a guy who, granted, even though I took a, a boot camp, I don't really feel like I got out, and people warned me about this, but I don't really feel like I got a hell of a lot out of it in terms of like technical prowess or knowledge, you know? And it's also like, how can you in just four months time, if you had a, if you had a programming job for four months, you'd still be considered a baby, you know, even with even with a programming job, the, the thing like I've, I've, I've already said it on this show, but I'll go ahead and repeat it. The thing that makes you a good programmer is not experience and it's not formal training. God, it's not formal training. (laughs) I I have been on the hiring end of so many interviews where somebody looks really, really good with their degrees on paper and they're just stupid. <laughs> uh, what, what makes you good in the technical field is wanting to be good in the technical field and taking the effort to go out and teach yourself because they're, you know, Every bit of job experience is going to be tailored to what do you need to do this particular job? That is by necessity, very, very narrow. Uh, You're not going to get breadth through job experience. Uh, Education can give you more breadth, but the problem with education is that a curriculum has to be written up, built, approved, uh, and, uh, you know, put together. And by the time it, a, a curriculum is delivered to people, it's out of date. Yeah. And so you're not going to get, so you, the technology is so broad and changing so fast. The only way you are going to do well is if you go out and find that information. And, and this might be just as easy as, you know, you're like, Oh, I just heard about this new technology. I'm going to go to their, their source forge page, or I guess GitHub is now what people use. And I'm just going to read their readme and find out what the technology is and, and see, you know, what does it do? How does it work? What does it require? 
that kind of curiosity is what gets you 90% of where you want to go in tech. So I think you have that. Well, I appreciate that. And I always get the imposter syndrome going down these rabbit holes, but uh, it doesn't, it doesn't scare me off. It just feels like a hell of a lot of work, you know, but uh, it, it, is. it, it doesn't, it is. uh, Getting good at anything is a hell of a lot of work. It doesn't make me want to stop at all. I just I, I just keep going forward, keep smashing my head against a brick wall until it breaks. Um, With one of them anyway. Right. I want to change gears a little bit and just talk about uh, how you came into the no agenda sphere and first uh, stumbled upon that whole universe because you're a guy who is, you know, uh, you run the no agenda stream. You got us on the no agenda stream. And uh, you're a big integral part of like the backstage or the behind the scenes of uh, the the technical aspects of what No Agenda and its larger community which, which is. Which is hilarious considering how little work I actually do. Well, you know, you've got a you've got it figured out in a way that you didn't really have to do a lot of work to do it. And so I was just kind of curious at like how you came to know No Agenda, and then the second chapter of you know how. Okay. With with absolutely minimal effort, you kind of. Uh, well, okay. First of all, unlike, uh, an an inordinate number of people, because I hear about every other week, I hear a donation note of somebody who has been listening since episode one. And sure. Frankly, I'm skeptical. <laughs> uh, I was not listening since episode one. In fact, I've never heard episode one. Um, I have been listening, and I happen to know this. Since episode 133. Ooh. I have, I have, I have been, been a regular listener. That was the first, that was the current episode when I started, but I did something that I don't advise anybody do. Uh, at the time they were using uh, an RSS generator that only allowed 100 entries. Uh -huh. So the first episode I ever heard was episode 34. Okay. And I started there and I just started listening to the back. Now, fortunately, those first hundred episodes were 40 minutes to an hour long. So it was easier yep. to get through. But uh, how, okay, well, let me, let me back up a little bit. Uh, like many people, at least many of the, many of the people who started 10 years ago, uh, I came over from Twit. Uh, I got into podcasting because my manager at Microsoft, when I told him that I was sick of talk radio, uh, you, you were talking about, uh, you know, a, a short commute where you're going from a suburb into the city. And, and one of the first thoughts that I had was angry tech news is only 20 minutes long, which means that I would need three shows like that in order to get from the suburbs into the, com the city where I worked. Gotcha. But that's Seattle traffic. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I, I was telling my manager, I said, I'm really sick of the drive time radio. Uh, I, you know, these people, they're so fake. There's just nothing. And he said, well, why don't you listen to podcasts? I'm like, listen to what? <laughs> what are you talking about? This is about uh, 2006 or 2007. And he said, well, you know, I listened to a bunch of podcasts and he rattled off a few. And the only two that he listened to that I really got into, uh, one was Major Nelson Radio, which happened to come out of somebody at Microsoft. So I, you know, I've, I've shaken major, major Nelson's hand. Great. Yeah. He's, he's a great guy. I don't even know if he's still there. Um, although I don't listen to his show anymore. I don't know if he does it, but the other one was this week in tech, which at the time was the premier place where you hear about a tech news and commentary. If it's going on in, in technology, this, this was long before, 
uh, Leo uh, not only uh, took a hard left turn, but also just became a mouthpiece for uh, press releases. A corporate which, whore, if you will. Both of which made me far less interesting or interested in listening to him. But sure. back then, there were, I mean, there, there were genuinely interesting people. They had, uh, you know, Patrick Norton on all the time. They had Roger Chang. They had, uh, uh, he had, uh, who was the, 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 the douchebag from Dig? Uh, I, I'm not sure about I, that. I don't remember. Well, one of the people he had on was John C. Dvorak. Oh, yes. Who, by the way, I hated. I thought, <laughs> I thought that guy was just a total dick. About None everything. of this is good. And, you know, especially since, uh, you know, one of my first in, my first introduction to John C. Dvorak was a column he did where he did the same thing that I did to my developers, where he came out with a column and said, Windows Vista is the worst pile of steaming garbage that Microsoft has ever put out. And I'm like, I worked hard on that. <laughs> and then after a while, I realized I did. And it's not actually my fault that it's a steamy pile of garbage, but it is. Damn. <laughs> there were so many things wrong with Vista. And I remember I, Vista being like the Edsel of Microsoft products. I did I mean it had a lot of issues and I could talk with you all you want over what people said was wrong with Vista and Windows 8 and what was actually wrong with them. But let's go past that. Anyway, John C. Dvorak was a regular guest on Twit and I started through watching Twit to realize that he wasn't just a curmudgeon who shat on everything. Every time he shat on something, he had a reason for it, and it was generally a good reason if I stepped back and stopped being so damned invested in the product that I made and went, he he might be one of the brightest guys there. I mean, sure, he's a curmudgeon. He's, he's the only guy that a new thing comes out and he doesn't jump up and go, yay, a new technology! Right. Which at the time, I was naive enough to be one of the, you know, I, I, I consider it the difference between, say, a dude named Ben and a tech enthusiast. A tech enthusiast is the one who's like, new iPhone, yay, and then never learns how to use it. And the dude named Ben is the one who's like, oh, God, now I have to support this. <laughs> and, sure. <laughs> and Dvorak was absolutely on the side of somebody who understands this and doesn't take new technology for the sake of new technology. And for that, he... He jumped out as as an outlier. Now he was still an ass, and so I, I, it was it was frustrating to listen to him. But he was never not interesting. And then he announced on that show that hey, you know, I've started doing this other new show with Adam Curry from Mevio. I'm like, I don't know what the hell Mevio is or why I should care. So whatever. And then he kept doing it, and it was probably <sighs> close to a year later, many months later, that I finally went. I'm going to give this a, a listen, and so. I started listening to No Agenda when they did episode 133. And by the way, if Adam's listening to this, and he's probably not, uh, thank you for not ending the show at 100. Oh, I did no listen doubt. To, no doubt. I did listen to the the 100 take two episode because they threw out their originally recorded episode 100 because uh, this was uh, Adam had just split up with Patricia. And it, it uh, broke him for a while and it was not a good show. They, according to them, and then they re-recorded and said, you know what? We're going to try to do this. And I'm very glad that they got together and moved it forward. So I started listening. I caught up all the way. It was probably close to episode 200. I'm, I'm caught up. I'm listening to it, but I'm not really connected to the community. Uh, they did the, the episode 200 was their first big recap show. Yeah. Like here's where we are. Yes, the explainer show. And I remember that was my first time in the chat room was when they came out with the explainer show. Ah. And 
they were asking for uh, people to send in clips that were bits of the show. And I remember clipping something out of one of them said, you know, this is really important because it's the first time this happened and they didn't use my clip and I hated it. I was like, Oh, well screw you guys. I'm never going to listen again, but I did. (laughs) (laughs) That's like baby's first participation, right? It's like, yeah, you go, you show up, you do a thing and then you're like, ah, nobody noticed me. And like, it, it, it can really be the deciding factor of like, if you, if you, if you stick it out and, and learn a little bit about how to make, you know, the things you're bringing more attractive, or if you just say, I'm going to take my ball and go home. Yeah. So, uh, I, I was trying to look this up and I'm pretty sure I could, if I I spent some time on a a show, show notes search, but I'm not going to, it was probably 200 episodes later. So two years ish. Yeah. That I had been listening long enough and I realized no agenda had become the the very top of my playlist it was the one that i listened to first it, it was well ahead of twit which was on its way down there were a bunch of other twit properties i think the last twit show i stopped listening to was windows weekly uh i but i want to say it was about episode 415 ish somewhere around there that i finally decided that i was finally going to donate to the show because they had given me enough that whoa and uh because I didn't want to be one of those, you know, little, you know, those people who, oh, you only get a mention for, I was like, no, I've got to be an executive producer. Yep. Yep. And so I think my first donation was, uh, I, I, there, there were, they were getting a lot of three thirty threes, and I, I think, I don't even remember the details, but early on I had donated a three thirty four. I had donated a, a show number. I think I donated show numbers twice, which was a lot easier back when there were only 400 shows instead yep. of yep. instead of 1,400. Um, and uh, eventually, I yeah, what, yeah, I, 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 you know what? I'm totally screwing up this story. But somewhere in the in the 450 range, <laughs> I ended up getting my knighthood, and I was so proud. And that was the second time I'd ever come into the troll room. Was when I came in and I got knighted, and I changed my name from something generic to Sir Bemrose in the troll room. And that just stuck. And, and now I, you know, now it is, is, oh, you're a knight. Oh, you know, how, how does it feel? I'm like, well, it's just a thing. Yeah. I, I don't worry about it, but it's stuck and everybody knows me as Sir Bemrose. So I can't really change it now. Yep. And uh, so I started hanging out probably 2015, 2016 was when I started hanging out really regularly in the troll room. And uh, I, I was paying close attention to how does the system work? And, and I'll, I'll give you a hint. Uh, it didn't work as well back then as it does now. And Void Zero has done a lot of upgrades. But every time that he did an upgrade... I was like, what did you know? What happened? How did you do what? And and I was clearly paying attention. And I guess this caught his notice. And somewhere along the line, the the other administrator of the stream, uh, a guy named Mountain Vortex, ended up disappearing because real life got a hold of him. Uh, You know how that happens with people. Sure. And uh, I made a a fateful mistake of saying, well, if you need help, I can help. Nice. And next thing I know, I've got to log into the streaming server and. And Void Zero's like, here, here's the things you need. Here's where all the dials and do this, make it work. <laughs> He's so and, good. Very nice. And and here we are. The rest is history, I suppose. Yeah. So it's been about five years that I've been pulling levers on the back end. And 
and I, I pull levers pretty much every show, except when, uh, you know, every once in a while I push it off and I, I have to, I write up instructions for somebody else. The, the somebody else who's usually the victim of my terrible instructions is Darren, uh, but he does. Okay. Uh, I, I stopped having to be up at 9am when the show started, when I taught Darren how to, uh, do all of the start show stuff. So he does that because he's already on doing his pre-show stuff. So I'm very happy that, that he's taking over that. Uh, I, I still do the playlist and uh, the, the rest is is inertia. It, could somebody else do this? Absolutely. I could show somebody else how to do it. Um, I kind of like my little fiefdom and lording it over all of you peasants. But sure. Yeah, I mean, you know how it is. I can imagine it. I can imagine it. I don't know how it is, but, you know, if I close my eyes and think about it. Uh, Sir, Sir Spud the Mighty in the what, what do you call your chat room? Uh, the bowl. The bowl. Okay. Yeah. Sir Spud the Mighty in the bowl says you can change to Baron Bemrose. I did for a while, but uh, my current title, I believe, is Count. Ah, Count the Bemrose. Ah, ah, ah. Well, oh, I, brother. The, the vast majority of my, my nightly donations all came back when I was working as a corporate whore and making far more money than I was spending and going, well, of course I'm going to give a bunch of money to a podcast. Right. Now, now that I'm a poor podcaster, I have to be a little more stingy with that sort of thing. Yes, I now that I can uh, relate to directly. But um, no, it's it's very cool what you brought the stream to. And uh, I on Adam's appearance on Hog Story, you mentioned the, the number of streams. Uh, what are this? What are the streams at with with uh, pre-records and with lives? So. Uh well, okay, so the numbers that I pulled out, and I'm I'm actually pretty happy that a, no, a lot of people are are quoting that number as if it's monumental. I, I, I kind of pulled the number out of my ass. Official sources, dog, told us. O- official sources, yes. Uh, the number of pre-recorded shows, which uh, that that number is now 41 at this moment. Woo! Um, that number comes from how many are I? I have a script that I wrote. Which goes out and originally what that script would do is it would pull the RSS feed from each and every show on there. And let me tell you, that was buggy as hell. Uh, Dave Jones is probably the last person before me to want to pull RSS feeds everywhere and he can do it. And you know what? Nowadays, I let him do it because now 41 times every morning or every show day morning, because I do the updates during the No Agenda show. 41 times it goes out to podcast index and just says, give me the latest episode, which is, which is so much more awesome than when I had to, I had to write custom rules for each and every RSS feed. You'd have Uh, to go and you'd have to parse them and you have to see which ones are new and not. So so I have a list of, these are the shows that I keep updated on the stream server. And that list currently has 41 shows on it. Um, Oh, (laughs) one, one of my favorite stories of uh parsing feeds manually was uh the the nick the rat effect where he would break my damn parser (laughs) all the time and the reason is that uh nick what he would do with his show is the so the the timestamp the published time for in the rss feed is always uh uh an iso i don't remember the number and it won't mean anything to you uh, but but an, an official ISO standard date, okay, which is is the 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 really long string that's got the the hours, minutes, seconds, day, time, etc., and then can end with a Z 
or uh, UTC plus or minus something is, is the official format. But what Nick would do is he wanted to make sure that every one of his episodes in the RSS feed was listed as having been published at precisely 0420, 420 a.m. Based. And so every one of his shows was listed as published at 420, but he played a little fast and loose with the timestamps. And so one of the first problems that I had was when he would put in uh, 0420 EST. An EST is not an ISO standard time sure. zone. It needs to be UTC minus four, or UTC minus five. Those are uh, EST is going to be minus five. Mm-hmm. But but he would put EST in there and it would blow up my parser because my parser is trying to get a date out of it and uses right. the ISO standard and goes, this isn't it. And I'm like, screw you then. Just So I have to pre-massage and remove the timestamp off of it. <laughs> and then he goes in and every once in a while he would mess up the date in a different way and like change one. So it seemed like every three or four months, Nick's RSS feed would blow up my parser and I'd start bitching him out on there. It, I am so <laughs> glad that that parsing is now done by podcast index. You know, rats and RSS feeds, man, you know, can't, yeah. can't always get it perfect every time. Because now it's all Dave Jones's problem, and he's better at parsing RSS feeds the, than I am. Regardless. The whole concept of having those guys actively making a podcasting backend has been so cool. And just to just to kind of step back and look at the past year that we've had with it, and then just think about how it's it's in its infancy still. And where it could go from here, that's always just so neat and humbling, man. I love right when I first heard they put the started putting that show out. I've been listening to every episode. I've been keeping up. I've been trying to implement what I can understand and learn what I don't understand. And it has been the funnest thing as far as podcasting or even just hobbies in general go. It's been so fun to be just like in the room doing it. There are definitely less awesome hobbies out there. No doubt. Well, I didn't want to let you get out of the bowl without at least a little bit of weed talk. So, okay, you've said that uh, you know you've never ever participate partook. People say partook, yes. but uh, which is hilarious because I am four blocks away from a, a a completely legal weed store that I could walk to, buy something, come back, smoke it at home. Could do it. Any, <laughs> could do it any time if you so choose. Yeah, it, um, yeah. Well, it, it, it's fully legal in Washington, so. For recreational use. Well, that's interesting because the first place that I ever purchased legal weed was in Washington State. Uh, Lorian and I were out there uh, staying with a, one of my dad's college think, buddies. He had a place up in. Uh, I think that changed in 2014. Yeah, in Vancouver, Washington. Yeah, it was like the first year of legal pot out there. Yeah, and we bought like, was it a gram of Blue Dream? I think. I think so. And we were like. You know, we just did it for the memes and to do it, you know, and like. Sure. I mean, we, like, we for the novelty. It. We bought weed, you know. I almost you know, went out and, and bought weed for the mo- novelty. I'm like, because I can. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had bought, don't get me wrong, I bought a shitload of weed before then, but that was the first time I ever been handed a receipt for it, you know, and it was just kind of, there was so many things about it that made it a bit wild. And then you get back and it's also funny enough like the first time i ever bought that small of an amount of weed it was a, a gram but it was like 
uh, it was like forty five bucks or some shit for the just for one gram. Yeah, just I was going to say that the the downside to it being legal is it's taxed, and boy does the state tax a lot, so oh, it's yeah. expensive as hell. So I felt like a total sap, but I will say that, geez, it was like twenty two percent THC, blue dream, oh jeez, heavy okay. indica, and we smoked a little pinch off of that nug, and we're just blazed out of our minds and we're like all right well maybe we can make this little nug last uh for 45 dollars worth of uh times but well no go ahead oh i was just gonna say before before it became legal here um you know i i i knew that weed was you know i i i was at a fraternity at a college of course weed was available sure of course it was around but i didn't pay much attention to it uh so Everything I knew about it, you know, in terms of dosage and amount came from what my parents talked about when they had their experience in the 1970s, where where the the amount of high you got off of your one gram that you purchased, uh, my parents would be like an entire branch, like, let's light (laughs) this entire bush on fire and see how much we. (laughs) It takes a lot more than a. I always hear those memes. This isn't your granddaddy's weed, you know? Yeah, it's... And uh, for for me personally, personally, I'm like, thank God, you know? I don't know personally, but I've seen the effects on other people. It's not. Take some work to get done. Catch a buzz in the 70s. But, um, no, so so you said, you know, it was around. I guess, what was the first sort of exposure to the concept of weed? Because usually, you know, we get like the thing in Dare coming up. And, uh, and then I don't know, maybe why, are there any personal reasons or convictions or like, why have you never partaken? So I I am just old enough to have escaped public school before dare became a permanent part of the curriculum. Nice. Um, uh, my, my first introduction to the concept was, uh, Probably stories that my parents told from the 70s because they were the classic hippies. In fact, I think one of the reasons why I was never into drugs, uh, I, I didn't I didn't drink, I, you know, I didn't do was because they say that every generation has to come up with a way to piss off their parents. And my parents, of course, being in the hippie generation, completely pissed off their parents, my grandparents, by doing drugs and having the free sex and dressing scantily and going off and doing dangerous things. Sure. And my parents were totally cool with anything I wanted to do. So the only thing I could do that would annoy them was be totally straight laced and, and pure. That makes a lot of sense. You know, it I didn't keep, but I've, I've met a lot of guys like that who, um, you know, there's, there's sort of two types of people who have never smoked weed and one of the types is like they've never smoked because either they're afraid of it or they hate it or they're like you know they're very offended by its presence or anything like that and then the other type is a person who just doesn't care they're just like no i don't care it's just not for me and i i I don't even know that it's not for me i know i know that it has never really come up i see there there has I so not, so when you're saying that Lori and I should come out and visit, it is a theoretical possibility. I'm not entirely against the idea. Uh, what what I'm saying is, you know, I, I and I've certainly been in positions where people were smoking weed around me, and if I'd said, "Hey, pass that. I want to try it," it would. But 
Uh, I have never encountered a point in my life where it seemed important to me to try this drug. And, and you know, I'm not even against drugs in general. Uh, for example, I'm a raging alcoholic. Oh, uh, okay. At this point, uh, you know, I, I a, probably a, shouldn't admit that. On a scale you know, of one to that, drunk, how you doing right now? Right now, I am at about a number, about a two. I took um, a I pounded, shot of wild honey while we were talking that Lorian poured for me. When when we were waiting to start this, I had grabbed an IPA, which was a, a Silver City IPA. It's a local brewery from Bremerton, Washington, that uh, was, I want to say, probably about 7.5%. So not, not, it's not a stout or anything, but it's not small. And while we were waiting for the show, I drank the whole thing because I got thirsty and said, screw it. And I haven't gone to get another one. And by this point, I'm pretty sober. See, that's the, another thing that I discover with these imposter syndrome people that come into the bowl. Like Abel Kirby, you know, he, he was hesitant too when I asked him because he's like, well, I've never ever smoked weed at all. And it's like, you know, we hung out with Abel Kirby. And I tell you what, the guy runs on uh, beers to a certain extent, but... Also cigarettes, also coffee, like all of this stuff is the fuel, you know? So, oh, yeah. you know, everybody's got their drug. It's just what is, what is yours, you know? And so, well, I, my, I, I definitely drink more than I should. Uh, my, my most common method of, of avoiding drinking is to not have any in the house or to run out or, or, you know, right now uh, I've, I've got a, a few bottles. I've got a bottle of Chivas Regal, uh, sure. in, in the thing. And I've got a, a bottle of Lafroy scotch. Like I've got some really good stuff that I'm not going to yeah, it's like drink alone just for the purpose of getting drunk. Special but occasion type stuff. When I have a, you know, a cheap bottle of bottom shelf whiskey and some Safeway brand Coke to go along with it, I'm like, sure, I'll pour myself a whiskey and Coke. And then I choke it down because it's terrible. But I, I got to admit, I, I probably do more of that than I need to. And, and when we, just don't go out and buy more. That's my favorite way of, of saying I'm not going to have, but okay. You want, you want, which drug am I hopelessly physically addicted to? That would absolutely be caffeine. Caffeine. Yeah. The, yeah. I can't, I can't start my day without uh, America's uh, favorite drug. Yes. Caffeine, which funny enough has been banned in, uh, across history at certain times and in certain places too. Um, oh, it's, it's almost as dangerous as alcohol. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, it'll kill you way before uh, weed will kill you. That's for sure. <laughs> I believe that. That's there's no doubt about that. Um, yeah, everybody has their little thing, and uh, we reiterated to Abel Kirby, but I always want to make clear that uh, the, the regular intro for the show, Dame Jennifer says uh, that in the bowl that clothing is optional, but pot is not, and the only reason that pot is not optional is just because it's it's in the air when you're hanging out in this in the in the bowl. Oh, and I can you tell know, you're just catching the contact. So, you know, I'm not I, I'm not completely 100 percent truthful when I say that I've never been high on weed. I've never been high on weed that I put into my body. There you go. I have, however, been to a Tenacious D concert. Uh, well, yeah. All right. <laughs> Who, by the way, the, those guys fucking rock. Lorian can definitely get down with the D. Yes. Yeah. I love oh, them. oh, everybody should love the D. We heard the D from our backyard uh, a couple years back. Although um, my that might not be my first one. I think my first time, and, and I don't have confirmation that I necessarily got high on marijuana from this, but uh, I, there is an amphitheater uh, east of here on the other side of the mountains 
called the Gorge Amphitheater. It is a, a natural hollow in the rock about in a, in a canyon. Uh, the hollow is about a quarter mile in diameter, and it makes a, a just a big natural bowl that's completely open on top. And behind the stage is this deep canyon that goes all the way down to the river. It's a beautiful place, and it's a a pretty common place for bands to play. Now, is that I saw is that Red the, Hot Chili Peppers there, and I think ooh, that they hotboxed it. Nice, very nice. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Take some effort to hotbox an open air amphitheater. No doubt. Yeah, you've got to be pumping out some serious dense smoke. So is that the and, Columbia River Gorge that you're referring yes. to? Yes. Very nice. That's that's some of the most beautiful parts of the country there, man. Oh, I'm that's, a huge fan. That's yeah. where we were staying up the um with my buddy, uh my dad's college buddy. So maybe maybe we can get out there again. Bother you. Definitely. Uh, yeah, if definitely you did over... come out here, if if you came out somewhere in the state, I would, you know, it, it's it's five hours to get to uh, somewhere like Spokane from here, which is technically in the state, but it's far away. Um, I, I, you know, Missouri is not small, so you probably there are places there, too. But you know what? If you came to somewhere in Washington, I'd meet you there. Awesome. Well, if you came to Western Washington, it would be a shorter drive for me. Um, yeah, last time we were there, we split time between the Gorge and uh, Vancouver. Yeah, I grew up in Vancouver. Oh, Spent, nice. Uh, Spent many an evening in in the shadier parts of Portland back when Portland was uh, a little bit safer than it is today. I don't think I'd be willing to be in, in a lit part of downtown Portland anymore. Yeah, that makes sense. I was in Portland. The first time I ever visited Portland was 2010 for a, a normal conference. And I was like first diving headfirst into the whole legalization activism. Um, okay. And is it that, was is so when fun you were and a, beautiful. I'm sorry. When, when you were a lobbyist, you said? Yeah, that was sort of the beginning of my lobbying stuff. And uh, I was first vice president and then president of like the college chapter of Normal and went on to found <laughs> a, a kind of a towny normal for, uh, you know, not, and I wasted not the my college youth, kids. I wasted my youth being the president of my high school's knowledge bowl team. Oh, man. <laughs> Did you retain any of that knowledge? I it, actually I provided far more than I received from them. Ah, that's typical, isn't it? I'll give well, a no. It, I'll take a it, no it, give. It was. It was a. It, they didn't teach you anything. It was a club for people who spent way too much time learning useless trivia. And here, wouldn't you like to have a way to show it off? And and if there's one thing I'm very good at, it's retaining useless trivia that will never be useful unless you pull it out on a podcast and tell somebody and then everybody's ooh and ah and I'm like yeah, but my life isn't actually any better for knowing that it's just one of those pieces of information I can't get rid of there you go well at least it gives you something to talk about and that's <laughs> the beauty of the uh the, the podcaster thing you know you never run out of things to talk about I think we could uh jaw jaw on and on and on with just about every guest oh, that yeah. we've had and uh, uh and we're we're already but... we're already coming up on the uh the unrelenting threshold. I know. Yeah. I was just about to say, uh, it's probably time to clear the bowl, turn some fans on and, uh, get ready for the hog story. That's coming up in about 20 minutes. Yes. And, uh, that is, and, uh, I, 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 I want to say I've been a huge fan of, uh, talking with you today. This has been a lot of fun. And, uh, if, if we ever do this again, I would love an opportunity to talk to your wife as well. 
Oh, I know. No, She's... I know. I, I have the imposter syndrome. I've been smiling and nodding along. <laughs> it's all of that tech talk, you know? Like uh... Yeah, well, we, we've been watching you smile and nod. And hey, you know what? Trust me. There's plenty of people who know exactly how you feel. There, there aren't a lot of people who can keep up with me talking both because of the amount of caffeine that I drink. And... <laughs> well, you have to understand about uh, Lori, and she does this at parties, too. I'm a wallflower. I, if you enjoy it, then the only thing, the only disappointment that I have is that I don't have video. Oh, that's to come. As, as soon as uh, they get that live tag implemented and get some video lives uh, plugged in, we're, we're, we'll get our setup ready for video. Oh, yeah. I've, I've listened to your podcast, and I have reason to believe Lorian would be a lot of fun to talk to, and I'm disappointed you didn't talk more on this one, but I, it just means we have to do it again. Absolutely. There we go. Well, we definitely want to thank you personally for, you know, being gracious, uh, adding our show to the to the No Agenda stream, and then you know, eventually getting us end live. That's been a really great, uh, really fun time, and um, it's been fun talking to you too. You interesting dude, and you always have, uh, I think, insightful things to bring to the bowl. So. We'll definitely do it again. I, I, I always aim to be insightful, and if I can't do the insightful with an S, I'll do the insightful with a C. <laughs> there you go. Get them up off their couches and get them angry. Well, thanks, uh, Bowlers 2, for listening. Oh, by the way, um, it should be noted that uh, producers for the show, uh, they're regularly read every Tuesday, and so we did have some donations come in, and we'll get to those Tuesday, but Reverend Cyber Trucker in particular had a big donation we missed on Tuesday so he did say double XL donation 84 bucks one for me and one for Sir Bimrose so he'll get double credits uh, just for a special occasion but uh, wow thanks for hanging out everybody in the bowl and everybody in the no agenda stream I've been Sir Spencer Wolf of Kansas City I've been Dame DeLorean and I've been Ryan Bimrose I guess absolutely and, Check out uh, Angry Tech News. That's right. Angry Tech News. Is there a, a good website for that? How do we do that? AngryTechNews.com. AngryTechNews.com. Hell yeah. I like that. You got to get the easy thing <laughs> that people can actually search and find, right? Well, the, the real trick to naming a podcast is going searching, see if the domain is available first. That's, that's always a good step one. Definitely. No doubt about it. Well, yes, angrytechnews.com. And uh, for this and all the other Bowls with Buds uh, interviews, you can go to bowlswithbuds.com. And uh, the great URL. <laughs> how do we usually end these things? <laughs> That's well, we usually I was not say, ask. until next time, may your bowls burn ever brighter. Smoke weed every day. May your bowls burn ever brighter.